Hey everybody, welcome to a Weekender. It's been a little while since we did one of these, but it recently came to my attention that Ryan has never spun the Wheel of Tangents. I mean, you were around at some point, right? Yes, I was there for the Wheel of Tangents we did with Brent Weeks, but he was the one answering all the questions right. on the wheel. I've never spun the wheel uh, and answered a question myself. So Ryan and I are teaming up. It's This is a, a duo episode. There's nobody else here. It's just the two of us. I'm Craig. He's Ryan. And we're going to spin the Wheel of Tangents. Now, because it's been a little while since we did one of these, I'm going to explain the Wheel of Tangents. Basically, we go on a lot of tangents here on the Legendarium. So what if we just did an entire episode that was randomized topics that had nothing to do with each other? That's what we're doing today. So I uh, elicited the help of our patrons on Discord. So there's a plug for both Patreon and Discord. Uh, if you join our uh, Patreon, that's patreon.com slash legendarium, then you can join a patron-only Discord channel uh, where we yeah, you know, talk about everybody else behind their backs constantly. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. We also throw like throw previews and other things out there. Just try to get people a little bit of a heads up on things. So. That's true. Yeah. So you do get things a little bit early, like when Ryan makes the videos he's been doing lately. Anyway. So yeah, you can go check that out. Uh, let's see. We covered Patreon. Yeah. Find us on all the other social media and whatever. I don't care about those. Support so the show somehow. Somehow. Yeah. Tell your friends. Leave a review. All Send right. a carrier pigeon to someone about it. <laughs> so we have on the docket today, 16 16 topics okay we're gonna see how quickly we can go through these okay if we mow through all 16 in you know 30 minutes or less then i do have two bonus questions uh, that didn't quite make the cut but i i like them anyway so we're gonna keep them around anyway so we we're gonna spin the wheel and figure out well the wheel only has eight spaces so ryan go ahead and roll the die and we're gonna see okay so that's it an two. even number and that means it's times two go ahead and spin the wheel and let's see what number we land on i'm not going over the questions beforehand because there's too many uh so two times four no it's not two times four this is actually question number 13. oh so, i see how it works yeah so one through eight and then nine, nine through 16. Yeah. military time style there yeah it, it, correct yeah uh oh well, we're starting out with an interesting one okay so huran fan asked us to say something nice about each other podcaster oh okay so i don't know if you and i are included in this i don't we have to sit across from each other look in each other's eyes and actually say something complimentary don't break to each eye other. contact no don't eye contact break yeah who do you think would win if we actually i mean this would be terrible radio but could could you hold my eye contact longer than i could hold yours uh are we talking you, you just lost no, like, no, no. okay yeah, all right probably not. so something nice about each other podcast let's go in uh, order of seniority on the podcast and so i believe todd was the first one yes todd was the first one on the show besides the two of us uh so todd why don't you say something nice about todd known todd for quite a while and the man has a, a gift for genuinely caring about people and a gift for genuinely caring about the content of what he's working on yeah so it's, yeah, you won't, you're not going to get fluff from Todd. He's going to really try and put his heart, whatever he's giving you, he's giving you his full heart. That's true. And often that heart is right on his sleeve. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. Uh, Ken is next up and Ken has, I would call it a boundless enthusiasm for the show and for a lot of things, but, uh, but it really comes through for us, you know, on the show and, and uh, he, he just loves the legendarium. Yes. And he is always happy to evangelize it, and he's always excited to show up for an episode. Doesn't matter what the topic is. 
Uh, and I, I say that's a pretty valuable thing for us to have. If he wasn't a panelist, he'd probably be our number one fan. Yeah, that's probably true. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, who's up next? Megan? Yeah, I think Megan, because she was on for Stormlight. Yes. Okay. Uh, Megan, I mean, we've talked about it before, her note taking, things like that. Oh, my gosh. The, nobody takes it more seriously than she does in terms of trying to bring wisdom to the podcast, which none of us have ever bothered to really try to do that. Boo. Occasionally it happens. But to actually bring in insight and wisdom uh, she does that and she provides us, she keeps us grounded and and really focused on things that we may not think about all the time. Right. So, so this means that I get Kyle, which means you're going to get Stephanie, your own wife. So yes, that, no pressure. Uh, so Kyle came on for the Wheel of Time show. And I'd say if I were going to say something nice about Kyle uh, vis-a-vis the show, he is, it, it, how do I, how do I put this? He has obviously a deep knowledge of the wheel of time and some other fantasy stuff. But what he brings, I think is a critical eye that a lot of us lack. Mm-hmm. A lot of people lack his critical eye is, uh, is very sharp. And so sometimes that can come across as overly critical to some people who listen, but I actually love it. I think it's a good thing about him and it uh, tempers some enthusiasms yeah. <laughs> occasionally. He does a great, I, I trust Kyle a lot when it comes to breaking down actual writing topics, you know, the way that authors write things. Like mm-hmm. I just, if he brings up a topic about that, I know he's, that he knows what he's talking about. Right, right. Okay. So Stephanie is, I think, last up on our regular panelists. Yes. Uh, aside from my normal bias towards Stephanie, one of the things I, I appreciate most about her on the podcast is she doesn't buy into our own egos. Well, that's true. <laughs> she, she a lot of times she like I would talk to her about podcast things before she came on, and she's like, "That just sounds stupid." And now she gets to come onto a microphone and tell us that, <laughs> and she's honest about it. It's not trying to prove that she's you know as smart as anything. It's just straight up. No, that's a stupid. No, you're being stupid, and that honesty is refreshing. Okay, fair enough. All right, roll that die. Let's see what number we can come up with. Spin the wheel of tangents. It's an odd number, so. We get number five. Question number five is from Befuddled Panda on Discord. Fantastic name, by the way. This is a fictional food you wish were real. Uh, fictional food I wish was real. Um, dang it. Okay, and and maybe we just go straight to Hook. And like, what if you could eat Play-Doh? Oh, right. yeah. The, the whole imaginary scene in Hook. That's That'd be great. Um... I here's the thing. I have never actually had a pie that looks like pies do in fantasy. Well, uh, like the the steaming dome. The, the steaming of... dome. It's, it's all, they're always garbage. Like I would, I would love to go to a world that pies are a pretty common thing in fantasy. Actually, like meat pies and other things. Sure, I'd love to to have one that would be actually made by magic or something like that. It's just it's perfect. funny that you say meat pies because you kind of stole mine. Uh, because yes, like you say, those come up all the time. What I was going to say was a delicious meat pie. Oh, okay. It, it is. It's a fictional food. It doesn't exist. I'd love to have one because it sounds great. But yeah, no, that's not a thing. Uh, okay, so maybe we don't read enough fictional food in fantasy to have a good answer to that. Ambrosia. I mean, I roll mean, that. I, roll that die. So. <laughs> uh, okay, an odd number again. And this is number one. Question number one comes from Little Red Book, who, uh, never mind. I was going to make a quip about her name, but I won't. What's your favorite fantasy animal? Favorite fantasy animal. Do you have one for this ready to go? 
Yes, uh, it's not a stretch or anything. I, when it comes to fantasy, it's dragons. As a, it's got to be dragons. Yeah. It, it, is there? It, I mean, the only other possible answer for favorite is unicorn, but the dragon is just too cool. Yeah, but I mean, if I'm trying to get into like series specific things, you know, a lot of them are villains, things like that. Uh, there's some cool ones out there, but I just can't think of any that I really like. Oh, this is my favorite of those. That's not a dragon character. Maybe Gurgi. Gurgi. Mentions on crunches from Mr. Gurgi. <laughs> well, he's not Gollum. Uh, no, uh, dragons. Dragons have to be, they're majestic. They're powerful. They're, uh, they're riddly. Yeah, I here's the thing. I love wolves, and they play a big role in fantasy too. But they're not a they're not a mystical creature. And <laughs> yeah, like when you get into fantasy, are. it's like werewolves. I'm like, no, not there. Not for all right. Me. So dragons, it is. Roll that die, man. We we are gonna whip through these, aren't we? Uh, okay, so it's an even number. That means uh, times two or what? Series number two. So number seven. That gives us number fifteen from Lady Sweden. If you didn't read for the podcast, how would that change what you read? The content of what I read uh, would probably be smaller in in uh, authorial scope. Um, I tend to sit in my prior tendency was to sit with the same authors in the same worlds and sure. not really expand a ton. The podcast has forced me out of that yep. into reading other authors, and that's that's a good thing. Um, so that's honestly I. I would still be in sci-fi and fantasy pretty much as the majority of my reading, mm -hmm. but I would probably just be in a six or seven author shelf. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, if it weren't for this podcast, I'm in very much the same boat as you. I think I would probably read more political stuff, which now that, okay, how do I, how do I put this? We've been doing this for six years, over six years. It's coming up on seven, man. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been doing this for over six years and when we started, I read a ton of political stuff, political theory, political history, uh, whatever, all that stuff. And I and the podcast basically made that take a back burner. And now that I'm a little bit older, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still read some of that stuff, but I'm a lot pickier about which of it I read. And mm -hmm. so I, I get a lot less uh, like screeds in my life than I used to, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, I can recognize that now. So that's uh, one way that I probably would be a little bit different, but I'm with you. I My scope would be much narrower. Uh, I was uh, I was all in almost exclusively with Tolkien for like five to seven years. Mm -hmm. I read everything by and about him, just everything I could possibly get my hands on over and over and over again. And uh, I would probably still be doing that to a large extent. So, shall we? Yep. Okay, roll that dice. Uh, number three, that's an odd. Okay, so that gives us number three. Question number three. What's something from a work that you've read that you've never quite been able to visualize in your head? So, for me, this one is a little bit unique. I actually, usually on a first read-through of something where it's brand new, uh, Characters themselves don't really solidify in my head as a visual. They're kind of just people. It's a generic person there right. type thing. Um, until I see a really good piece of fan art or, you know, the, if the cover has a really good image, something like that, a lot of times that locks in. And I wish, I actually kind of wish it wasn't that way. I wish I could, I made a little bit more definitive personal view of these characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
it just doesn't really happen uh, for me right now. Unless, I mean, I, authors will take time to make specific points about visuals on characters. Uh, for example, you know, in Stormlight, you have some, you know, the red hair of Shallan, like something like that will jump out. Or if you if you make a point about, you know, specific distinct uh, identity pieces, stuff that comes up over and over again, so it gets drilled into yeah, your head. Yeah, those things. Maybe? I mean, right now I'm working. I'm in the Good Earth, and uh, there's a there's a, a group of people in there that have white eyes. So while I don't have distinctive features for all of those characters. Anytime one of them pops up, at least in my mind, they form with the wide eyes. Yeah. Things like that. So for me, that's it. that's where those things sit is okay. I, I wish I had, you know, that's why one of the reasons why I love fan art for pieces because it helps me lock in on visuals. Uh, for example, Stormlight Archive, I'm stuck in, I'm still in there right now. Uh, my visual of Kaladin comes off the cover of Words of Radiance. Sure. Like that's- Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There. I think this is actually pretty good. I, I Or- Again, this is something that resonates with me. I think uh, you and I are similar in this way. And I like this because, or I, I like the way that my brain operates with this because it helps me to distinguish in a way if an author is being effective with drawing a character mm-hmm. uh, and specifically a character's personality. Because if a character has no personality, I'm not going to remember them because I, I don't really have a great visual of them and there was nothing memorable about them. And if that's the case, they just fly right out of my mind, mm-hmm. right? But if you, did you ever see, did you ever watch the uh, Red Letter Media uh, takedown of the prequels? No. It's pretty fantastic. You would have you would have a brain hemorrhage if you tried to watch it. But there is a great portion in the first 10 minutes where they talk about the characters in uh, Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to drive home this point that the characters have no character. Mm-hmm. They are they're, they're stereotypes. If that, yeah, <laughs> they're not even that. And he, the way he does this is by asking his friends on camera, describe for me Han Solo. And you know, they talk about what a rogue he is, and he's charming, but he's uh, you know, he's kind of aloof, and he's kind of a sarcastic jerk, and all this stuff. Describe Padme, you know, without talking about her clothing or her appearance or her job. Mm-hmm. Like describe what who who she is, what kind of person she is, and it's like ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it and so you know that, that's kind of the point that he makes about the characters in the prequels anyway if if a book character suffers from that then they're totally unmemorable right and yeah. so if they have white eyes then that's something for you to latch on to but that's it's it can be that's this is not saying that it is that way but it could be a way around having to actually characterize your characters I can see that if if their predominant feature, physical feature, is their only defining trait, right. that's probably not a great character. Yeah, exactly. So that that makes sense. Um, anyway, it, yeah, let's see something from a work you've read that you've never quite been able to visualize in your head. Um, I yeah, you ever read the Redwall series? Oh yeah. I still don't know what a stoat is, and I've never <laughs> bothered to look it up. So there you go. All right, roll that die. All right, we're looking at number uh, eight. Eight, best love story you've read. Best love story I've read. Um, I will tell you my favorite love stories uh, in literature right now, or that I've read through. Siri uh, and Susebron and War, Warbreaker is one oh, of my absolute favorites because it's the story, it's it's Beauty and the Beast without the Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> Or at least less of it, okay? Okay. okay. 
And it's interesting because one of the things that happens in a lot of uh, literature or just any love story in general is the progression goes through of a, you know, they meet and usually there's kind of a bit of a conflict or whatever. And then they break that and they get and they're in love. And then all of a sudden they're in love. And and then then there's another conflict. (laughs) So so in this, in in their story, in Syrian to Sebron, the fact that the physical aspect of their relationship is supposedly forced at the very beginning. It just, I laugh because to me that felt like such a real, the way a real relationship would develop versus a lot of other ones where I'm like, yeah, I, I tried doing, you know, I tried having that cutesy, you know, angry banter between that turns into the romantic kiss in the rain and it just didn't work. Like yeah. it, it, it just, I just got in trouble. Nice. Like, that sort of thing. <laughs> but cause I, I've read other ones. I, one of my wife's favorite books, uh, it's a Regency romance Thing. And I, I don't know what that means, but okay. Just in the era, like think of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay, sure. Okay. It's a romance story in that era about a highwayman, you know, this mysterious highwayman or mm. whatever. Yeah, and are any bodices ripped in the course of this story? This author doesn't really do the bodice ripper, I guess, mm. but it's 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 right there on the edge, apparently. So it's right there on the edge of me being interested in it. Yes. Okay. But I went to go read it for her as kind of a just uh, to show that I cared. And, sure, you know, sure. You know, she's read, read things for me. And we get to this moment where the the main girl, she's in this manner and there's these <laughs> curtains and she's pulling on them and the curtains are like come off the rack, whatever she falls and he dives in to catch, you know, he happens to walk into the room at oh. just that moment and catches her in her arms. And I was like, I can't, I just can't, I can't do this. <laughs> I love you, but the, I don't believe this as even remotely plausible. You know, it's a great TV fodder, it's Hallmark fodder, but uh, yeah. Sounds amazing. So what's it called? The Highwayman of Tanglewood. Tanglewood. Yes, The Highwayman of Tanglewood. And the author is uh, Marsha Shoot. I can't believe I just spaced it. Does it really matter? Do you really she care? Wrote a, she's right. It's a whole series. And I think it would be hilarious for us to like go through and do one of them one time. You know, I, I was thinking we need to do some live readings of uh, some really saucy, like... Uh, sci-fi or fantasy erotica on uh-huh. uh, like YouTube live or something like that and just uh, you know get get the whole the smoking jacket and the fireplace and the uh, let you put on your dumbass accent whatever as Globe reached out with his tentacles no, and stroked just, my just, face just no. stop just stop this, look we don't give away for free what we should hey, be charging for the first hits free oh okay all right um what was the what were we just talking about oh best love story you've read let me extend this beyond the scope of um i'm, I'm gonna change the question a little bit beyond the scope of romantic love okay so i'm going friendship here mm-hmm. and i'm also going uh outside of love story that you've read and i'm gonna go with one of my favorites on screen uh, because i don't think this gets enough attention and that is Merry and Pippin in the uh, film version of The Lord of the Rings. Okay. There is uh, the moment when Pippin has looked in the stone and then Gandalf takes him to Minas Tirith. And so they're separated and you can kind of really see that pain uh, on both of their faces. You know, Pippin especially is what's going to happen. Uh, you know, Merry, I don't want to don't want to leave you. And then they leave and it's horribly sad. And Mary's like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, whatever. And then when they reunite on the, the Pelennor fields and uh, Pippin finds Mary having stabbed the Witch King and he, whatever. And he's like, I'm going to take care of you. And I've just sobbed like a little girl every time. I love their friendship in those mm-hmm. movies. It's wonderful. I like that. 
That's so. good. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and spin the wheel one more time. Well, one more time. 18 times. Uh, okay, we're going with number four. If you could live in a fantasy world, by the way, uh, how amazing that we haven't had any repeats yet. Mm-hmm. If you could live in a fantasy world while it's not in crisis, which would it be? This is from Little Red Book. My personal inklings would lead me into somewhere in the Star Wars universe, probably. Uh, I, I'm unless I, I can't I, think of anywhere in the Star Wars universe that seems hospitable, like when it's not in crisis. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yes, I you know, like so, I don't want to go to Tatooine. Coruscant sounds like a nightmare. Uh, I would. Dathomir, mind. nope, hard pass. I mean, uh, you know, Naboo has a nice climate. Okay, there you go. All right, Something maybe like Naboo. That. All right, I'll give you that. I don't know. Uh, you got a hot queen. The, the biggest problem for me is whether or not I'm going to inherit the abilities of being there or if I'm just there like as a tourist. Sure. Like, this question has to <laughs> evolve here because if I'm just going as a tourist, then I just want to go somewhere that's, you know, nice, has... No, it does say if you could live in a fantasy world. Okay, so this, it's not, you're not just like hanging out for the weekend, um, you know, sipping tea and eating crepes in the corner cafe. I still want indoor plumbing. I still want... Well, that just ruled out about 85% <laughs> of fantasy, at least. I know. That's why I'm sitting here having to look into more science fiction and, you know, the futuristic fantasy type type setups there. Um, that's the thing is uh, when you think about these worlds, it's like, no, they're, they're, they wouldn't be interesting if they were paradisical, right? Yeah. I, I As much as I love the Stormlight Archive, I have zero desire nope. to live on Roshar. I would nope. not be able to eat anything. I, <laughs> I, I might go with uh, Randland. Seems pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. I mean, you're lacking the indoor plumbing there, but. Uh, I mean, again, you have one power options, apparently, you know, maybe available to you. <laughs> like, not really sure how you would use that or what weaves you would use. But, uh, you know, a one power bidet is not out of the re- out of the realm of. Now know. we're talking. How do I get my hands on one of these? Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Go ahead and spin again. Uh, where are we at? We are. Okay, even, and we're going for number 16. What, oh, this is from Ashaman, by the way. What book or series was the hardest to finish reading? So I have a pretty, I've come into a pretty strong feeling that if you aren't enjoying reading, don't don't keep reading. Mm, it's, okay. So I, with a little caveat there. Okay. You need to take a a good look at why you're not enjoying reading. If it's because it's making you uncomfortable or something like that, then you know what? It might be worth... Depending on the type of discomfort, maybe. Yeah. It might be worth pushing through just so you open yourself up to some new points of view. But if you're just bored, if it's a boring book, then maybe shelve it and come back to it later or whatever. Life is too short to spend in bad... reading bad books. Yeah. Yeah. for the podcast, I mean, we all remember we had a we had some struggles getting through Farseer. Um, I will admit that uh, this is a little preview as we get into you know when we get talking about Good Earth. I had a little bit uh, of a you, hard. You, you said Good Earth before, Broken Earth. Sorry, yeah, Broken Earth. Okay, I thought that's what you meant. Sorry, it, there's. Anyway, I had a hard time at the beginning of that. And I really wasn't. I was having a hard time enjoying that series mm-hmm. in the beginning. I have. I'm now finished you, with book two. So okay, I'm, so you've you've crested the hill there. Yes. Okay. You know, give epic give epic fantasy its time to <laughs> to develop and everything. Right. right. Um, and in that case, I'm glad I pushed on and continued. You know, and not saying that, but I think that's to me this question. It's more 
you need to figure out where your line is, where, you, where you're going to draw the line and say, I don't want to read this anymore because it's not worth my time versus, you know, I've only read 50 pages and I'm not enjoying it. Like, you need to give it a little, give, give it a little time to breathe. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, Farseer is the easy answer because we did have a hard time. Uh, I, I think book two was the hardest one for me to finish there. Mm-hmm. Um, book one, I was like, I was really into it. And then there was the chapter when it turns out that it's not about an assassin being an apprentice at all. And I was just like, F this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I think for me, the answer off podcast would have to be Brissinger. The fourth book in the Inheritance Cycle by okay. Christopher Paolini. Never finished it. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. I've I, and I have tried. I have given it several good faith efforts. Can't do it. So, I guess yeah. I already answered this a little bit. I go back to the, the Highwayman of Tanglewood. That was my my book. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't finish. Do it. All right, go ahead and spin again. I'm trying to think if there were any others that came up for me, but uh, no, I, I'm a I'm a finisher. I tend to finish. Uh, number. four. For, yeah, number four. We already did that one. So, yeah, go ahead and spin one more time and we'll see if we can get one that that we haven't gotten yet. Number seven. What do you think fantasy could do better slash more from Huron fan? What do you think fantasy could do better slash more? I'm not sure if I have a great answer to this. This is one that would require quite a bit of thought. It's... I feel like if I have a really good answer for this one, then authors should be paying me for the answer to the, <laughs> this. Um, oh, that's our new career. There, yeah. Consultants, fantasy consultants. Yeah, I don't, I don't like this. I like this. We can go through that. No, I. Here's the thing. There's a, there's an easy low hanging fruit answer here, and that's diversity in in fiction and fantasy. Like, uh, I, I, but I would I would actually disagree with that. If you want to look at fantasy and science fiction historically, then fine. Mm-hmm. But if you want to look at it over the past 10 or 20 years, no, forget about it. They've, that's that's solved. That issue is is fine. Um, so like for, that's just kind of one of those, like I said, it's low-hanging fruit that came to me. Otherwise, you know, I, I would love to see some new alternative takes to fantasy. Something ridiculous. I'm going to throw something ridiculous out there. Do you remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me an epic fantasy Choose Your Own Adventure thing. Oh, geez. Can you imagine the size of a Brandon Sanderson Choose Your Own Adventure book? (laughs) (laughs) It would be insane. Because I actually remember uh, way, way back, I remember a Choose Your... I think it was a Choose Your Own Adventure series, but it was a time travel story where you acted like as this time cop that went back in time to stop this other rogue time cop who went back. Sweet. And... He was trying to do some things in the medieval era and was like killing knights and everything. So you had to go in there, pretend to be a wizard, basically. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading that and going, this was fun. This was fun. And maybe they're still out there, but they're definitely not a prominent publishing thing right now. So maybe throw something ridiculous out there, you know, or write a fantasy series five different books from the different perspectives. And instead of mixing them, all five of those books lead to the final one book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. just structure-wise, maybe there's some weird things that could be done out there that would be unique. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, I'm going to throw a one-word answer at you, and it's going to sound like I'm taking a shot at certain authors, and I am. <laughs> but I'm also commenting on the genre itself as a whole, okay? So the question here is, um, what's something, where, where was it? Oh, yeah, what do you think fantasy could do better slash more? end 
Okay, so we need more endings and better endings. Yeah, no, well, better better endings. I don't know. I, that's that's a totally subjective thing. But I guess the whole that's this whole exercise. It's all subjective. But anyway, uh, yes, I am taking a shot at those who aren't finishing their freaking series, and that that's that's <laughs> a whole thing. But I also what I mean is uh, the Dresden Files. Okay, by all accounts, I haven't started it yet, but I'm going to. And by all accounts, it's wonderful. It's amazing. It gets even better as it goes on. That's fine. But that's uh what 16 books long now something like that like i'm sorry but that's it's got to you need to end at some point i need a story mm-hmm. with a beginning a middle and an end um and so and i'm actually gonna go ahead and say something like the stormlight archive look it's just too big it's too big for me i want endings mm-hmm. you know and so he's gonna he's gonna give us two endings after five books each right so yeah but no no that's why i like elantris so much and warbreaker so much is because they have endings Mm -hmm. that's why i love hero of ages so much because the ending is such an ending you know anyway so uh end i'm gonna go with that for my answer i like that i can i can see that wheel of time would have been better served as a shorter series if it had ended i'm look it would have it's wonderful and i love it but it's too long it just is. Okay. Right. I'm just going to duck over here for a minute and <laughs> wait for things to happen. <laughs> yeah, you can email me all of your complaints at ryan at the legendariumpodcast.com. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and spin again. So we are going to number... What is that? For, uh, uh, 12, 11. 12. Okay, worst... <laughs> this is from Befuddled Panda. <laughs> Worst date experience. I think I know yours already, and I want you to tell the story. I I think you do, because we were on this date together, not with each other. I, have you told this on the air? I think you may have before. I don't know if I have or not, um, but let's just say, let me, let me just preface it here. I flew a plane with this girl, and it was a terrible <laughs> and date. she didn't? Oh, never mind. No. Okay. Nothing about anything like that. <laughs> no, we went to, it, it was back in high school. We went to a homecoming dance. I think it was our junior year or something like uh, that. Who cares? You're, and they all it, run together. Craig's dad had his pilot's license and a small Cessna Cherokee plane. Is it, well, it, Cherokee Piper. Whatever. Cherokee Piper, sorry. Come on, Ryan. I know my planes, apparently. <laughs> um, and for our day activity, we went and we flew these planes. You know, we each got a chance yeah, to kind took of pilot out. out. Yeah. And, you know, he, your dad actually helped us get us all, all set for landing. And we did everything except for... The actual act of putting the plane down on the ground or right. that a- that is by the way everybody else went you know horseback riding or we got a limo or whatever i'm like yeah we flew a plane and that was like it was the trump card in yeah. high school it was so dope it was the best it was the best date idea ever so good but by the time we got on on the date itself she took off with her friends whatever then we went back and watched a movie or something like that and then i took her home and she gave me a handshake at the door and said thanks oh, and i was like brutal who like, was that yeah, uh, no, don't don't tell me. Tell me off the air. Okay. <laughs> she had the same name as my dog, so it wasn't that. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, what was it? We named the dog Indiana. <laughs> um, as far as bad dates go, I don't know if I uh, have one off the top of my head. I did have one <laughs> where it, this wasn't. A, yeah, no, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it was a date, but I had a very skittish girlfriend okay uh tightly wound highly religious 
um, and, uh, and and like I said, very skittish. And so we're, we're driving. We're on a date. Okay, this is an established relationship. Uh, and she's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. And I reach over and gently place my hand on her leg, just above her knee. And it remained there for about five or ten seconds before she finally, in a fit of anguish, asked me to remove my hand because uh, she didn't want, uh, you know, the, the impurity of the situation to overtake her or whatever. And I was just blown away. And uh, that was the beginning of the end of that one. <laughs> so that was uh, it was I. It's a quick story. It's a short story, but it's it burned into my memory so hard that I, I can't quite get rid of it. It got, was the weirdest moment. Sorry, I've got one, one more just quick thing in here because there's. I remember going on a date. Okay. Um. That went. I love this person now. At the time, it was super awkward though. Um. Basically, there's this part in this production that's held in Utah every year, uh, where everybody's supposed to hold hands or whatever, and or link arms and just kind of sway and kumbaya a little bit. Yeah, uh, sure. And I got the arm lock wrong, and so she had me in like a full <laughs> arm bar. <laughs> While we were singing this very cutesy, like, you know, we can be together forever thing. And I was like, oh, man. She's twisting your I'm arm. sitting here, like, in a, in a full arm bar. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> That's pretty good. Spin that wheel. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think I have any other, like, horrible dates. I didn't date a whole lot, so. <laughs> <laughs> we both got married pretty young. Uh, okay, number seven. We've already done number seven. I'm just, I should just start looking for ones we haven't Whatever's done. Closest. Uh, how about number two? The Merits of Michael Bay Films. This is from Befuddled Panda. Ah, yes. The great Michael Bay's you got, filmology. I know here. you saw this one before we started, so did you think about it at all? I think I, he also asked, Yeah, I, I assume he, but I'm not entirely sure, about... You know, do you have a favorite Michael Bay film? There's only one answer to that, by the way. Oh, really? What, what would you say? Come on. You don't know the answer to this? I'm curious as to what you're going to say. The Rock okay. is the only acceptable answer to favorite Michael Bay film. That's not to say there aren't others with, you know, merits or whatever, but that's the only one. I do love The Rock. That is, I remember watching that. You introduced me to that one because it came on TV or whatever. And you're like, no, this is great. And then you went and rented it and it changed Sean Connery from saying, you know, he goes and dates the prom queen. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. On cable, it was winners go home and date the prom queen. Uh, that's not what he said. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really like The Rock. It's probably my favorite Nicolas Cage film as well. Like that. Um, honestly, Michael Bay films, there's like four that I think are genuinely like, this is good. Everything else is pretty much just. Like what else? Armageddon? Uh, Armageddon. I have not seen Bad Boys, but the fact that it has that it has its position sure, that it has sure. there, and the first Transformers movie was enjoyable. Yeah, like it was very, good. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I'll I'll defend that one. Once yeah. they went beyond there and started putting uh, drooping wrecking ball testicles on the robots, <laughs> I'm sorry, you you jumped the shark. You, lo you lost me. Yeah, you jumped the robot. Um, as far as merits of Michael Bay films, there there's one thing that. Michael Bay has as far as his uh, what seems to be his outlook on how to make movies and why he makes movies and uh, and all of that and I find it valuable but that's not to say he always hits his mark but he wants movies to be fun mm -hmm. and that's nice <laughs> so often and this is the this is a nice thing about going to see like a Marvel movie or some Star Wars movies 
where fun is the order of the day. And yes, mm-hmm. there are other things we want, you know, we want to have an emotional impact. We want to make some commentary or whatever, but that's always secondary to that kind of a movie. And that's nice when you mix it in with all of the quote unquote serious filmmakers who really just sometimes make their movies a chore to mm-hmm. watch. Uh, or I was just watching, um, I, I played Netflix roulette. Do you ever do this by the way, where you just, like you, you create, um, or you don't, you don't create a list, but you have your lists that Netflix has created for you. Mm-hmm. You close your eyes and you're like, I'm going to go six down and eight over and just watch that. And I watched Extraction, which was a 2015 movie starring Kellen Lutz and Bruce Willis uh, and Gina Carano. Not good. But it was like this action <laughs> movie that was supposed to be kind of like cool and fun. And it just wasn't like nobody's heart was into it it wasn't any fun and that's what michael bay brings to that where yeah okay sometimes he misses the mark but fun is underrated at the movies i agree i also think michael bay tends to he hits the mark on serious films better as a producer than as a director like what uh like he produced a quiet place oh yeah sure that one hit really well that's a good one he's got he's got a lot of producer credits and I try, I've tried to get past the point. I know he unfortunately has the, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? The tendency? No, it's the je ne sais quoi. Rapport. <laughs> or the, okay. That from his films, that, you know, it's all explosions. It's all, it's all, oh, it's his all uh, that. reputation. Repu- that's the word. I'm like, I didn't want to say, <laughs> I need an R word here. Like, that's, but his reputation of, for those things. Um, but the fact is, is he, he does those in the movies he directs, but as a producer, he's got a better, an eye for talent, eye for maybe so like you with can, directors. And if stuff. you look past that, if you look past his reputation on that towards other works, like I would trust hmm. him. What do you want to bet? This is way longer than befuddled Panda expected us to talk about Michael Bay. Probably. All right. So let's spin again. All right. Ryan, pretend to spin that wheel for me. There you go. All right. Uh, number six, audiobook pet peeves. No space or indication between point of views. It is absolutely point. infuriating to me that, you know, it, in a book, they'll put space between large spaces. Between right. The paragraphs. A, a hard carriage return. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that you can know, oh, there's a new, uh, new point of view or a new something going on. Sometimes in audiobooks, like I may be two or three minutes into a new perspective before I realize that I have shifted perspective. And then I either have to go back or just assume that whatever I've heard before isn't important isn't, enough to go back. Yeah, to yeah. do that. It drives me absolutely insane. Wheel of Time was the worst for that. Really? Yeah. Uh, for Of all the ones I've done, listened to uh, recently, Wheel of Time had a tendency of just Matt would finish off of a paragraph and Perrin would have the first line of the next thing and you wouldn't even, and they wouldn't make any mention of the name shift or anything for, right. you know, two, three paragraphs or something. It just drove me insane. So what would you do to fix this? Just longer breaks? Uh, just long enough of an audible break that you get uncomfortable. It's that feeling of, did my phone turn off or whatever? <laughs> right. Like just create that discomfort long enough for me to snap into focus and realize I need to do this to pay attention to this. Otherwise, you have to go over the ridiculous route. If you remember the old uh, like audio books as a kid where it had side A, side B, and mm-hmm. then chime, turn to side B, bing, <laughs> type thing. All right. All right. Oh, that's a pretty good one. I don't really have an answer for this one. Audiobook pet peeves, don't be a bad narrator. Um, but most of the books that I do on audiobook, 
uh, don't have that problem because they're big enough books with enough publisher money behind them that they find a good narrator. There was one book that I read. It was called, I think it was called The Language of God or something, and it was about uh, genetics. And it was written by Francis something or other. I'd have to go look it up. But anyway, it was read by the author. So it was this physicist. And he read his book and it was fine. But here's here's the pet peeve. And I've only ever run across this once. And so this hardly counts as a pet peeve. This was just an instance of horror. Uh, he wrote a song. And in the book, he just puts the lyrics of the song in there. In the audiobook, he got his guitar and he sang the song into the microphone and it wasn't good he wasn't good it was uh it was and it was so uncomfortable that because it was read by the author and so it just felt already like this kind of weird exercise in ego tripping uh it it was it was wildly uncomfortable i do not recommend that anybody do that on their audiobook yeah that anytime you institute music whatever I, I really enjoy especially books that start out with a little bit of a, a tone music uh to be set but it gotta balance it right that is one of the biggest things i've had issues with uh, i know a lot of people have talked to us in the past about graphic audio i don't mind graphic audio i think it's a really great concept and they've done some really good jobs the samples and the pieces that i have listened to the balance is off enough for me that i have a hard time focusing on the story because I am paying too much attention to the background audio. And so if you are doing an audiobook and you want to add pieces, just make sure you balance it right. Yeah. Okay. You know, give it, give it a nice fade as it goes out. Make sure it sets a tone that is appropriate to the book. And that's, yeah. But most of my stuff is all production related. I very rarely do I get on narrators too much because it's, it's harder than, than oh, you, yeah, than it's, you think. it's really difficult. Um, by the way, just for as a point of interest, it was called The Language of God, and it was written by Francis Collins. Francis S. Collins, he's... Uh, uh, His new single is at Starbucks, <laughs> you can buy. <laughs> <laughs> he is a renowned scientist, and you can look him up. And uh, Anyway... Uh, but it was uh, a scientist presents evidence for belief. And so it was all about his journey to faith and all that stuff. It was God like, is in my helix. <laughs> He's in my DNA. <laughs> I think it was a family book club. It wasn't a it wasn't a bad book. It was uh, I liked it. OK. OK. Anyway, uh, let's see what else we've got. Number nine. Ryan, this one is for you. OK. Oldest argument with Craig. This comes from Kipton. Uh, Kipton. Kipton. Kiptan. The here's the problem with with this for me so, is that I'm always right, so it's hard to argue with me. Mildly, mildly, that is the point. <laughs> See, the thing is, is you've I've learned from years of knowing Craig from a time when this wasn't always the case. To now, is ooh, I, ooh, ooh. before you say it, hold that in your mind. But is this going to feed into question number eleven from Little Red Book? Craig's worst opinions might be okay. All right, it go might. on. The, the problem is that Craig, he's really good at thinking through his opinions and thoughts and creating like a good logistic uh, logic to follow everything. Oh, this is also say something nice about the other panelists. Okay. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of here. So for me as a person, I don't have a problem with people disagreeing with me or having a different viewpoint. It doesn't bother me as long as I feel like that person has thought about it. Mm-hmm. That's one of my biggest pet peeves or dealing with, you know, anything online right now or just in general. Right. Like, I don't care if you have an opinion. And even if it's just a feeling, like, I understand that. I'm sure I have some of those. But if I know that you have thought through your opinion and you can base it 
and you can, I can follow the logic there so that I could stand in your shoes and go, yeah, I see why that's the case. Right. Then I don't, I'm, I'm okay. It doesn't bother me. And Craig usually does that. So we don't really have a lot of longstanding arguments or things because I can follow and understand and it doesn't bother me. That being said, most are every time we do a Star, Star Wars, Wars episode, yeah. we have made, that's, that's our, that is the You You the have stated line. that those are your least favorite episodes, not just to record, but especially leading up to the recording because you, they're so you're dreading filled. it. They're so anxiety filled because <laughs> the thing is, I know, I know the points here that you make are going to be legitimate in terms of the, there is, uh, there's backing to them. And I know that I have to come with the same level of legitimacy to mind. And sometimes you can't do that with some things. Like there's things. <laughs> you just love what you love. Yeah. And look, if when you get to the point where something is above reproach, you're, you, you, it's not, you're doing it wrong. Like you got to be willing to look at. Dude, that's you. You said it, not me. You said it. What? If something is beyond uh, above reproach, then you're doing it wrong. Because yes. you've said in the past that you just love everything that has Star Wars printed on it and you will forever. I, I do. It just mean my my take on this would be it, I can still love it, but see the flaws and be willing to ad- admit that those flaws are there. If you ignore that the flaws are there, that's where it's a problem. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Uh, there you go. So do you have a Craig's worst opinion? Chambered and ready to fire? Uh, is, it, is it something about The Last Jedi? No, like I... The problem is that, like your, like I said, your opinions—they make sense. I understand them, and they're backed. I do think that, uh, I do think that you are overly harsh on the the new Star Wars. Um, Only eight and nine. Number seven is okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. It, it's okay. If I could change, here, I want to ch- adjust this. If I could change Craig, change Craig's opinion on something, on this thing, uh, I would change two things. Oh. Mm. Wait. Is this three, a twofer. Three things. Three things. Oh, three three things. Okay. All right. I could change Craig's opinion on three things. One, I would make him a bigger soccer fan. You mean communist? Yes. Okay. All I right. would make him a bigger soccer fan. Communist. I would make, I would have Craig, although not agree with, appreciate and like Stephen Colbert and John Stewart. Uh, okay. And then the other would be that to find whatever it would need to be to let you enjoy the new Star Wars and, and Disney more. If I could give you those three things as a gift from me. <laughs> the Colbert, the Colbert thing is not a gift. That's not a gift. I know it's not to you. No, I know it's not to you. giant hack. He is a hack and a half. Um, but we'll leave that there. Okay. So <laughs> I accept your weird whatever you said. Uh, okay. Let's go on. We've got only got a couple more. And that's good because we're 45 minutes in. So we better uh, better keep moving. Oh, yeah, I think this is actually the last one that we have of the regular 16. So this is number 14 from Befuddled Panda again. If you had the opportunity to space travel to anywhere in the known universe, where would you go or not go? Uh, So I I love this question. I almost took it off because I was like, well, if it's in the known universe, then I don't want to go anywhere because it's all, as far as we know, completely desolate Mm -hmm. and lifeless and, you know, like... I want to send probes there, but I don't, I don't want to go there, you know, but I came up with an answer and my answer is, uh, Rhea, which is the second largest moon of Saturn. 
And I want to go there. It's uh, it's it is indeed desolate. It is forbidden, forbidding. It is rocky. It is uh, it, it looks a bit like our moon, you know, kind of gray and, and lifeless cratered and all that stuff. But it looks rockier and icier. Um, but the reason I would want to go there instead of uh, is it Titan? I think it's Titan, the largest moon of Saturn, uh, because Titan, while it sounds cool and it's got liquid oceans and all this stuff, it has a very dense atmosphere, so it'd be kind of tough to see out of it. Um, I would like to just hang out for a few weeks, maybe in some habitat on Rhea, because I think it would be so awesome to have Saturn as this dominating figure in the sky right above you. That would be cool. That would be a cool visual. I would want to go to Alpha Centauri. Okay. Be the first person to explore a world untouched. A new solar system? Yeah. Just to see, you know, it's supposedly the ne- the closest thing that could support life to us, or closest thing to us that could support life. Yeah. You know, to drop down in there and be like, what what is it like here? What's going on? Start the exploration there and... I'd, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You want to be the explorer? Yeah. Yeah. I just want the Vista. That's all. Yeah. That's all I want. So <laughs> you can get yourself a VR headset and people have 3D mapped out stuff like that for you. <sighs> yeah. That's the same. That's the same. Okay. All right. Well, I think uh, we have sufficiently spun the wheel. Ryan, are you satisfied? Do you feel good about this? Is I, it everything you dreamed of? Everything and more. Thank you for being gentle. <laughs> Oh, yikes. Uh, no, but thank you to uh, the patrons for throwing this together. I know we called out the same like three or four names many, many times, but I also want to throw out uh, Old Lady Geek and Tora. Uh, I don't know how to actually say this. Tora Mig? Uh, whatever. The Norwegian guy for uh, also throwing some questions on that didn't quite make it into the 16, but... Uh, Wait, Tora Mig? Tora Mig. Oh, I feel so bad. My personal reading, I thought it was... Tore so- my GG is uh, the way <laughs> that I, I often read it. it. Tore my egg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's, that's so good. I love it. Uh, no, anyway, thank you to all of you for doing that. If you uh, would care to influence the next <laughs> round of uh, the Wheel of Tangents, then go ahead and hit patreon.com slash legendarium. Uh, really, honestly, just do that to support the show. We really appreciate the the support that people throw our way. And uh, you also get a few uh, extra perks uh, in there as well. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for spinning the wheel, Ryan. Mm -hmm. See you for Broken Earth when we record that in a week or two. Yes. Yes.